Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Welcome to Israel and You. And Israel team is attempting to push back against the rise of anti-Semitism, mainly on evangelical college campuses is where we work. And many of these universities and campuses are accusing Israel of human rights violations, driving the boycott, divestment, and sanction movement. And so you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter. You can go to our website, israelteam.org, which is an educational website that will help you grow in your understanding of Israel and God's call upon the Jewish people. Uh, you can follow me on uh, is the Times of Israel. I write a weekly blog. Just Google my name, Aaron David, F-R-U-H. You can uh, read my articles in the Jerusalem Post and the Algaminer. And a few weeks back, I attended the 53rd Annual Scholars Conference on the Holocaust and the Churches at the University of Texas at Dallas. And one of the presenters was a young man named Isaac Amon. And he gave a very compelling talk about the Jewish people on the margins, the, the ones that we don't really hear about that, that perished in the Holocaust. And his talk was about the Sephardic Jews and the Holocaust. And so I invited Isaac Amon to be with us today in the program. And it's an, it will be an enlightening uh, conversation. And Isaac is the Director of Academic Research at Jewish Heritage Alliance, a cultural and historic nonprofit dedicated to preserving and promoting the legacy of the Sephirad Jews of the Iberian Peninsula. He's an attorney and counselor at law at St. Louis, Missouri. He obtained his JD in negotiation and dispute resolutions and JSD, PhD in law in comparative criminal procedures from Washington University School of Law in St. Louis. He was awarded the Dagan Lobonsky Public Interest Fellowship for his work at the International Criminal Tribunal for the formal, former Yugoslavia in The Hague and served as Director for Legislative Services at the Missouri Department of Corrections. He's a descendant of Sephardic Jews who fled Spain for the Ottoman Empire in 1492 due to the Spanish Edict of Expulsion. He researches, writes, and speaks on Jewish history, criminal justice, and procedure issues and the law of anti-Semitism. He has an abiding interest in history, memory, and legacy. So Isaac, wonderful name, by the way, welcome to Israel and you. Thank you for having me on, Aaron. It's uh, great to be here, and hello to all your listeners. So tell us, Isaac, you know, you're a researcher of uh, Sephardic Jews, and uh, for those in the listening audience that that don't know what a Sephardic Jew is. Can you explain to us uh, a little about the history of uh, Sephardic Jews, especially as it relates to the, the Inquisition? Sure. So the history of Judaism, of course, spans uh, millennia and has gone around the world. 
uh, unfortunately, due to uh, 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 displacement and the creation of a global diaspora. So Sepharad is the historic and really biblical term for the Iberian Peninsula, for the countries of Spain and Portugal. Mm-hmm. And so Sephardic Jews are Jews who originated in that peninsula. And they may have arrived as early as the time of King Solomon, who built the first temple, uh, because Solomon had a very close alliance and relationship, according to the Hebrew Bible, with King Hiram of Tyre, who is located in what is now modern-day Lebanon. Uh, Hiram actually helped to construct the temple, and the Phoenicians, that of which he was the king, uh, were a great maritime people, and they established a lot of trading centers and settlements throughout the Mediterranean basin um, in North Africa and Southern Europe, and they actually came to Spain and Portugal. And so it's very likely that Jews under the reign of King Solomon accompanied their Phoenician counterparts and wound up there as early as uh, uh, you know, 3,000 years ago or so. But certainly from a communal perspective, there were well-established Jewish communities in Iberia, in Spain and Portugal, at least 2,000 years ago. And so again, the descendants of those people who had lived there for centuries, if not millennia, came to be known as Sephardic Jews. And this is just in contrast to Ashkenazi Jews. This is the the Jews that most people think of. And these are people who come from Central and Eastern Europe. Ashkenaz is the traditional term for Germany. Um, and so Jews who come from Central, again, Eastern Europe, Poland, etc., came to be known under this designation as Ashkenazi Jews. Of course, Jews are still one people. There's one religion. There's the Hebrew Bible, the Torah. But there is a difference in sometimes cultural norms, culinary traditions, you know, language differences, uh, basically due to the different lived experiences that these groups had. But again, there's an incredibly rich background to each of these traditions. But that those are the Sephardic Jews. Now, relating to the Inquisition, this came about in the Middle Ages um, in an attempt to uh, um, kind of identify suspected heretics. Over centuries in Spain, uh, really, although later in Portugal, Jews were unfortunately, forcibly converted to Catholicism. Uh, we're talking on the margin or on the level of tens to hundreds of thousands. Wow. So it was an extremely, you know, huge phenomenon. Uh, and the church had this issue that they suspected that many of these people, if not their descendants, were actually secretly practicing Jewish traditions and rituals. So they were Judaizing, as the term was. And so they had to create a type of institution to ferret out this heresy. And they created the Inquisition in Spain and later in Portugal. These were created in the 1400s and 1500s, and they last for centuries. They're not formally abolished until the 1800s. So after the United States is created, after the Constitution is written, the Inquisitions, again, only are abolished about 200 years ago. And and just one more thing to add, Aaron, if I might, Sure. Just the reason the Sephardic Jews who are forcibly converted and their descendants, the Inquisition did not have direct jurisdiction over openly professing Jews, but they felt there was this crypto-Jewish phenomenon. So openly Catholic, but secretly practicing, right? They were crypto-Jews. And that's who they went after 
later on, of course, the Inquisition went after other groups perceived as subversive to the state, including Protestants and uh, uh, dissidents, uh, free thinkers, etc. But the initial targeted group were descendants of Sephardic Jews. Wow. So does that, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, did they call them the conversiosos, that, that the ones that were forcibly converted? Yes, yes. That's So that okay. is another term. So conversos, uh, okay. which is just the term for the converted. Uh, the other term that the church actually applied to these people, um, to these newfound converts, is new Christians. Hmm. Uh, and this term is applied to them and all their descendants. It didn't matter how many generations passed since the conversion, since the baptism. And even if the baptism was voluntary, it did not matter. These people or their descendants would always be regarded as new Christians or conversos, or perhaps we would think of maybe crypto Jews. Um, But again, it was an attempt to forever distinguish them from the old Christians, right? The ones who had been Christian perhaps since time immemorial. Yes, we we talked in the last couple days about the descendants of the conversioso. So today in the world, how many descendants that have been kind of lost uh, to their Jewish roots that that come from this group? Yeah, so it's actually a pretty stunning, um, staggering number, at least from a genetic perspective. Now, uh, there's about 15 million Jews, give or take you know, worldwide today. So, and most people really don't know it's that small a number. I mean, it's 0.2% of the global population and only about 2% of the United States. Uh, But descendants of Sephardic Jews, uh, it's believed according to some of these genetic studies may number as many as 200 million people, um, including about 25% of Latin America, because when the Inquisition persecuted them, right, these descendants, even if they were genuine Catholics, were still be suspected of being heretics. And so a lot of them, regardless if they were secretly practicing Judaism or not, they fled across the Atlantic, right, to the Spanish and Portuguese colonies in the New World when when after 1492, after Columbus. And so they tried to really put an ocean between themselves and the Inquisition. Over time, the Spanish and Portuguese brought the Inquisition to the New World as well, to Mexico, to Brazil, to the Caribbean, even into the future United States. Um, And so that accounts for why there's such a huge percentage of people who have Jewish ancestry in in the New World, again, principally in, say, Central uh, Mexico, Central South America. Tell us a little about your story, Isaac. Your grandfather, would he immigrate to the States? And and that's... This whole history was just ingrained into your into your soul growing up. How, how did you come into this story? Yeah, so absolutely. So yeah, so I'm Sephardic on my father's side and Ashkenazi on my mother's side. I, I got the best of both <laughs> traditions, okay. um, I like to say. Uh, so yeah, my grandfather, for whom I'm named, was born in Istanbul, Turkey, and mm. grew up there. My grandmother was from Aleppo, Syria, uh, but but really grew up in Beirut, Lebanon. And my grandparents married in Istanbul by the chief rabbi. My dad was born there. And then when he was a little boy, my grandparents and my dad, they moved to Chicago in the late 1950s. And uh, yeah, so so growing up, I had one set of grandparents who were Sephardic and another set, my my maternal grandparents who were Ash, 
who were Ashkenazi Jews. And so I really, you know, I loved history ever since I was a kid. I was privileged to to grow up with my grandparents. Um, you know, my, my grandfather from Turkey just passed about five years ago at, at 95. So I knew the three of the four of them very well. And in fact, there was at least one grandparent who lived in my in my parents' house for about 25 years. And so wow. I was incredibly privileged to grow up with them, to to learn from them, to ask them stories, you know, on a firsthand, you know, for direct uh, basis. And so, yeah, it really made an impact on me. You know, who are they? Where did they come from? <clears throat> and why are there such different historical experiences? And uh, I'm very grateful for having had that direct exposure and, you know, having connected again with my, my grandparents who were all born in the early 20th century. Wow. So here's the million dollar question, Isaac. Uh, what's your favorite fruit food? Is it uh, Ashkenazi food or is it Sephardic food? Like what's your favorite? Because you grew <laughs> up with two, I, uh, with two, with two uh, menus, you know? <laughs> uh, I'd say it's a, it's a combination. Uh, we usually... We usually do a combination, uh, but I'll tell you one of the most famous, especially, uh, you know, as we're in Passover, is uh, Sephardic Jews actually can can have rice on Passover and Ashkenazi Jews don't have rice. Okay. Um, so so I've always appreciated the ability to have the rice on Passover. But okay. but to be fair, I also have, you know, um, gefilte fish and, you know, other Ashkenazi foods. It, it's, it's really a blend. It's a mixture. Um, wow. And like I said, I'm really grateful for the ability to experience, you know, and to 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 have grown up in such an environment where where I got exposure to again both both traditions um, and and again to have known my grandparents. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. <clears throat> you know, one one of my favorite recipes, and I I think it's uh, a Passover dish. It's also a Purim dish. Is uh, chicken marbella have you ever had that before it's it's moroccan and uh, it came from the silver palette cookbook so if anyone in the listening audience wants a, a wonderful jewish dish uh, and it's sephardic is chicken marbella if you had that before maybe you I, call I it actually, something different yeah we probably do i'll look it up but uh, okay yeah it sounds really good it's got uh, olives and honey and uh, sweet and yeah. savory, you know, for that's Passover. That's the traditional, that's right. And that's the traditional Sephardic dish. Okay. It's the Mediterranean inheritance. Yeah, yeah it's great. All right, when we come back from the break, we're going to learn more uh, from Isaac Amon. See you on the other side of the break. Hi, I'm Aaron Free, President of Israel Team Advocates. And there's an alarming decline today in the support of Israel among U.S. evangelical millennials ages 18 to 29. A May 2021 survey administered by the Barna Group shows that between 2018 and 2021, favorable support for Israel has been cut in half from 75% to 35% among evangelical millennials in the United States. If this trend continues, evangelicalism will be anti-Israel in just a few short years. And remember that young Christians today will be the leaders of tomorrow. Israel team recently conducted interviews with students at a major evangelical university concerning their understanding of the Holocaust. The answers were troubling. To the first question, what was the Holocaust? Half of the students did not know. 
To the second question, who was Adolf Hitler, again, only half of the students had knowledge enough to connect him to the Jewish genocide. In the remaining questions, we found a surprising, breathtaking, really, lack of historical understanding of the murder of six million Jews during the Holocaust. This example is indicative of a much larger problem. The study of the Holocaust is not prioritized in Christian primary, secondary, and higher education. And there's so much more that we can do. You can help Israel Team today by going to israelteam.org and clicking the donate button and your tax-deductible gift today will help us in pushing back against this growing narrative of anti-Israelism within the evangelical millennial community. So go to israelteam.org and stand with us today. We're building a bridge for the coming generation, and it's so important that we build that bridge. So help us today at israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. This is Israel in You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Welcome back, and we're talking with a young man, uh, Isaac Amon, Director of Academic Research at Jewish Heritage Alliance. So, Isaac, tell us how we can uh, find your website and find out what the Jewish Heritage Alliance does. So, Jewish Heritage Alliance is a nonprofit and a global platform. Again, that's really dedicated to preserving and promoting the Sephardic legacy because, again, it's vastly undertold in the annals of Jewish and human history. And uh, the website's just www.jewishheritagealliance.com. There are monthly webinars that we put on with leading academic experts and historians, musicians. Um, there's a mobile exhibit on the Sephardic Jews from origin until present day including a lot on the crypto-Jewish phenomenon in the days of the Inquisition that's making its way to various cities and uh, institutions. Um, and so, yeah, there's uh, the website's the best way uh, to, to connect with us. There's a mailing list. And uh, we also do uh, educational programs on site, tours to Spain, to Portugal, um, and to other places where the Sephardic Jews uh, transited um, um, throughout the Mediterranean and into the New World. So, uh I invite everyone to look us up and, and join us in whatever way is most uh, meaningful to people. Give us that website one more time, Isaac. Uh, it's www.jewishheritagealliance.com. Thanks. You know, one of the great questions that um, people ask me all the time is, why the Jews? Why, why is... Why do we even have a history of anti-Semitism over the centuries? So from your perspective, what's the history of anti-Semitism? Where did it get started? And is it still growing today? Yeah, so very complex question. Um, unfortunately, it has a very long and tragic history. It, it goes back almost, I think, to the beginning of recorded time. Um, in fact, again, uh, particularly uh I think uh, um, meaningful again in, in this in this in these days of Passover, perhaps the very first instance of anti-Semitism or or anti-Judaism enshrined as an official policy of the state is in the Hebrew Bible. When the Israelites were in Egypt, they were eventually right. Even though they had contributed through Joseph the vizier or the or the prime minister, second only to the king, right after mm -hmm. his death. 
the new Pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph and the descendants of the Israelites of, of Jacob and his 12 sons were enslaved and forced to do hard labor. And of course, most infamously, the Pharaoh ordered what might be a genocide. He ordered that all male children born be cast into the Nile River. And so the Jews or the ancestors of the Jews, right, the Israelites were uh, condemned in this situation uh, for centuries until Moses, of course, redeemed them, you know, with the mighty hand and the outstretched arm of God, you know, who liberated in the Exodus. Um, mm -hmm. And so from that date, it seems almost wherever Jews have gone, there have been, unfortunately, discrimination, there has been persecution, um, you know, we met we talked about the inquisition earlier that's of course an extraordinary example of a type of persecution that spanned the globe and went for centuries and solely on the basis in in the end on the basis of 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 a blood or a race it mm -hmm. didn't matter if the person was secretly practicing judaism what mattered is they're descended from jews and something about being descended the descent alone gives a taint that has to be in a sense eradicated um the Inquisition, of course, didn't exterminate Jews, but that same type of thinking, in a way, is, of course, culminating in the Holocaust or the Shoah, of course, mm -hmm. right? In, in, our, in, in our own living memory, only 80 years ago, 6 million Jewish men, women, and children, one-third of all Jews on, the, on planet Earth, and two-thirds in Europe, were completely wiped out. I mean, thousands of communities were extirpated overnight within a few years that had been there for centuries. And so I can't give an exact reason why it happens. I do tend to think Jews, because they were such a conspicuous minority in most of Christendom, right? In most of, uh, in many places where they've been, it's easy to blame the outsider, right? The scapegoat for problems right. that, 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 that infect or afflict a society. And in that way, the society never has to contend with real issues or problems. And so the Jews, again, being conspicuous, it's easy to attack them. They're also powerless, defenseless. They're usually dependent on the state or the king, you know, for protection. Um, they're often caught up in, in, in struggles for power between the king and the nobility or clergy. Unfortunately, this is a pattern that we see. And so it started, like I said, though, almost when, when Jews were a family, not even yet a nation formed you know, when God gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai to the Jewish people. Now, today in the 21st century, unfortunately, we're seeing a resurgence, um, even in the United States. Uh, the Anti-Defamation League, you know, does annual surveys uh, mm -hmm. measuring people's um, views on Jews. Uh, traditional Jewish tropes, for example, or stereotypes that Jews are disloyal, or Jews are greedy. Uh, there's a conspiracy of Jews, a cabal of sorts. And uh, they've been doing this for, uh, I think, about 40 years, four decades, and it's the highest ever recorded. Um, and and, and it's, it's stunning that even in the United States, we are seeing now, again, a, a resurgence of anti-Semitic views that has real consequences. Um, and unfortunately, just in the last few years, right, synagogues were attacked in Pittsburgh, in which 11 people were killed on, on Saturday, on Shabbat. Um, in, in California, the, uh, in, by San Diego, and then even a year ago, there was the rabbi who was held hostage in Texas on Shabbat. It right. was Facebook live streaming. And again, this is the United States, and, and I, it's, 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 it's doubly painful for me to see this as a proud American 
and and of course as a, as 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 a Jew because how could it happen in this country that's so dedicated to religious liberty and and right. and and really a religious freedom and the concept of liberty and justice for all and uh it's it's problematic and it is growing um unfortunately and yeah we have to do everything we can to combat it because it's a real scourge um that i don't think unfortunately is going away anytime soon yeah today so many synagogues like in in uh, europe but now in in america having to pay uh, tons of money every year just for their own protection, uh, you know, to hold services in the shul and, and uh, uh, Passover, you know, gatherings. Yeah. So it's a it's a frightening time. And, and, um, and you you talk a lot about memory. And yeah. do you think in America that we've forgotten uh, really what the Holocaust was? Have have we forgotten that? Uh, it was really baptized Christians, German Christians, who annihilated six million people. Have, have we forgot our history? you think that's why it's rising in America? Well, I think that might be part of it. I mean, unfortunately, we're arriving at a point where there is loss of firsthand memory of the people who directly went through the survivors. Um, mm-hmm. It's, again, been about now, it's going to be 80 years since the end of World War II, the liberation of the camps, uh, the end of the Third Reich. And so who is left but children? Um, uh, so we're losing that firsthand connection. And, you know, there's there's been Holocaust denial for a long time. Um, but unfortunately, when we get to a point, and it won't be too far off, it may even be the, this decade, but, uh, but in the 2020s, there won't be any any survivors left who can share their story directly with us. And that's a great moment that I think everyone fears. What will happen when that moment arrives? And actually, in conjunction with that, uh, last week, last Friday, you may have heard the last living Nuremberg prosecutor, right. uh, Benjamin Ferenc, passed away at 103. And, you know, it's like it's like we had a rupture with the past. I mean, he was still speaking. He was just awarded the Congressional Gold Medal. And he's gone. And with him, this age of Nuremberg and this memory again of these atrocities is is really fleeting it's 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 vanishing before our eyes and and so yeah i think a lot of it is um a loss of memory and you know i think unfortunately we're also of course we've gone through a pandemic we've gone through difficult economic times there's uncertainty that again traditionally i think does play into let's find a scapegoat let's find someone we can blame for these problems and so if you couple that already existing, you know, period or existing idea and, and situation we find ourselves in, along with the idea of um, the loss of the firsthand survivors in whatever context, it can make for a very dangerous and combustible situation. That's so true. And there was a recent study of millennials uh, in 50 states <coughs> in the United States and um, a large percentage of them, I think it was maybe 70%, could not name one of the death camps uh, or the ghettos. Like the numbers 40,000 uh, yeah. camps and ghettos, it's, they couldn't name one. It's frightening. So I'm going to have you back on. Yeah, I'm going to have you yeah. back on, Isaac. And uh, we'll talk about uh, that survey. We'll talk about your work at the International Court The Hague. And uh, we'll see you next time on Israel and You. Great. Thank you for having me. Look forward to being back.